Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them out, turn to 1 Kings chapter 22. Now, we're going to be going over several uh, verses tonight, uh, several passages in the Bible, and so I think that I've got most of them that you'll be able to follow along on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible, but I hope that you brought your Bible because we're going to be flipping through, going to different places in uh, the Old Testament tonight. Tonight, as we continue our quick tour, remember we're talking about these cities of refuge, and so as we continue our quick tour of these cities. Tonight we're going to stop over in Ramoth Gilead, one of the um, cities of refuge. Now Ramoth Gilead is one of the six cities of refuge designated in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and Joshua chapter 20. We've listed those already. Um, Ramoth Gilead, in fact, is one of the uh, three cities that were located on the eastern side of the Jordan River. In fact, it is the only one of those three cities of refuge that remained long enough in Israel's control to have any significant events that are recorded in the Bible. Remember, those, there were two others on the eastern side of the Jordan River, Bezer and also uh, Golan, and, but neither one of those, those very quickly passed out of Israeli, Israel's control to their enemies, and so there's not much written about either uh, Bezer or Golan, but there is about Ramoth Gilead. Ramoth Gilead was located in the territory that was allotted to the tribe of, da- uh, of Gad, I'm sorry, and it's mentioned in a list of King's so- King Solomon's administrative jurisdictions, and so we know that it remained uh, up into the monarchy at least un- until uh, in Israel's control, they're trying to figure out those slides. I'm sorry, it's, it's on an auto advance for some reason tonight. And, um, but we're going to get to those passages in just a second, all right? Um, and, and it is uh, located in Solomon's jurisdiction. And so it remained active in is- Israel's uh, control until at least the time of Solomon. However, sometime after, if you know your history of Israel, basic history of Israel, then you know that um, after Solomon, the kingdom was divided, right, into the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom, kingdom of Judah. And so sometime after Israel was divided into those two kingdoms, Ramoth Gilead fell into Syrian hands. And that's around the, the 8th or the 9th century B.C. And because of its strategic location, Israel and Syria would continue to battle over Ramoth Gilead. Is it not going to work, guys? Because if it's not, we can just, I can say, just follow along in your Bibles tonight for some reason, because I don't want it to be a distraction. Okay, just leave that screen up there. So get your Bibles out. You're going to have to flip along with me in uh, Second Kings, uh, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Chronicles, and, um, but we'll be okay. All right? So after, around that time, because of its strategic location, Israel and Syria continued to fight over Ramoth Gilead because it was located in a strategic place and they both wanted control of Ramoth Gilead. And and actually that sets up 
how we know most of what we know about uh, Ramoth Gilead from the Bible. It's in, in the book of 1 Kings. So turn to 1 Kings chapter 22 first. King Ahab. Now King Ahab is the king of the northern uh, kingdom of Israel. King Ahab asks King Jehoshaphat, who is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, he asks him to join him in a military campaign against Ramoth Gilead, to take Ramoth Gilead back from Syrian uh, control. Okay, so let me read these verses from 1 Kings chapter 22, verses oh, about 1 through 4. So for three years, Syria and Israel continued without war, so they're no longer fighting with one another. But in the third year, uh, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel and the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us and we keep quiet and we do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, would you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. So what happens here is Jehoshaphat agrees to assist Ahab, but it's important for us tonight to consider why Jehoshaphat would agree to do this since the kingdoms are obviously they're divided at this point, and it's, and it's not obvious why this would be in Judah's best interest or Jehoshaphat's best interest uh, to assist Ahab in the northern kingdom. Um, because Ramoth Gilead is in the territory of the northern kingdom. This is, a, this is an affair that uh, concerns the northern kingdom. It doesn't concern Jehoshaphat necessarily or Judah. So why would he agree to go with Ahab uh, to try to retake Ramoth Gilead? Uh, and in fact, it's deeper than that. Moreover, um, Jehoshaphat is actually described in the Bible as a devout and a godly king. For the most part, he's considered a godly leader in Judah. But Ahab, on the other hand, the king of Israel, is a wicked king. He's a, he's a wicked ruler. In fact, Ahab had already earned God's judgment. God had already put a judgment upon Ahab and said that he was going to destroy Ahab and destroy Ahab's house because of Ahab's wickedness. So his, his eventual death, the destruction of his family line and his dynasty has already been prophesied. It's already been determined by God. But he does receive a brief reprieve when, when he makes a sincere effort to repent. But nevertheless, here's the point. Ahab is wicked and he's living on borrowed time because God has already pronounced judgment against Ahab. He's a wicked king. So why would Jehoshaphat uh, ally himself with Ahab? Well, as it turns out, part of the explanation is that Jehoshaphat was already aligned with Ahab. They had, as it turns out, they had already struck a political bargain uh, of sorts. Second Chronicles, which tells basically the same story as, um, as the, the passage that we just read in 1 Kings, 
It includes this entire story about Ramoth Gilead, but it includes some important information. It says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. Now, Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor and had made a marriage alliance with Ahab. And after some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people who were with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth Gilead. So Jehoshaphat had already made an alliance with Ahab because, and here's the reason why, he had made an alliance with Ahab because it seemed politically and it seemed materially advantageous. So he did it um, for financial gain, for financial reasons, for political gain. Notice here, now this is important, notice there is no spiritual consideration that Jehoshaphat makes when he makes this alliance with Ahab. He doesn't, um, he doesn't ask the Lord. He doesn't consult with God. It just it seems good to him, and so he agrees for his son to marry Ahab's daughter. And so the, the sincerity and the strength of this marital alliance is very quickly tested by the military alliance that Ahab uh, proposes with Jehoshaphat. He says, would you go with me now that we're allied through marriage? Now would you go with me militarily and help me retake uh, Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat agrees. Now at this point, Jehoshaphat does consult the Lord concerning this military alliance and in the following verses of 1 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 18, you can read them later. We're not going to read all of them uh, tonight. It's a fascinating story. It's a good story. Uh, it's a story about um, the true prophet, one true prophet, uh, Micaiah, um, who warns Ahab and he warns Jehoshaphat against this military um, alliance. First of all, Ahab calls in his prophets, and all of them say, oh, yes, king, you know, you're going to go, and you're going to defeat the Syrians and everything. And Jehoshaphat knows that these are um, insincere prophets. They're not good prophets. And he says, do you have a, a prophet of the Lord here? And Ahab says, well, there is one guy, but I never like what he says. He always says bad things uh, about me or to me. And, but he finally calls, agrees to call uh, Micaiah. And Micaiah says, oh, yeah, sure, go ahead, you're going to win. And he's being obviously sarcastic. And Ahab says, no, listen, I've told you, you've always got to tell me the truth. And he tells him the truth and says, hey, you're going to be defeated. Israel's going to be scattered. And so, so the true prophet does. He warns Ahab, he warns Jehoshaphat about the impending disaster of this military campaign. But Ahab convinces Jehoshaphat to ignore the prophet, and he convinces him. After he convinces him to go with him, then he convinces Jehoshaphat. He says, hey, listen, we're going to go into battle. And he says, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to disguise myself as just a common person, and, but I want you to wear the kingly robes when we go in, into, into battle, but I'm going to disguise. I mean, at this point, when you're, if you read the entire story, you're asking yourself, how, how gullible is Jehoshaphat at this point? You know, it's Obviously, at this point, he should be saying what? No, 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 this is, this is not a good 
arrangement. Anyway, long story short, the campaign ends in disaster. Ahab is killed. He's shot by a random arrow, and he's, or he's hit by a random arrow. He, he retreats, but he remains on the battlefield. He's propped up in his chariot, and he bleeds out in his, in his chariot. Ahab dies uh, during this campaign. Jehoshaphat flees, and Jehoshaphat narrowly escapes death himself. In fact, he would have died himself. Jehoshaphat would have died also, except the Bible says the Lord helped him. So the Lord had mercy on Jehoshaphat. Nevertheless, as Jehoshaphat is returning to Jerusalem from Ramoth Gilead, as he's returning to Jerusalem, he is confronted by a prophet named Jehu. And the prophet Jehu rebukes, um, rebukes King Jehoshaphat. And this is what he says. And this is in 2 Chronicles chapter 19. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asherah out of the land, and you have set your heart to seek God. Now, you would think, here's, um, here's the thing, you would think at this point Jehoshaphat would have learned a lesson from this alliance with King Ahab. And it, in fact, it seems like maybe he did. Maybe Jehoshaphat learned a lesson at Ramoth Gilead. Um, he did seek the Lord. And in fact, Jehoshaphat went on to pursue some very important and godly reforms in Judah. However, that was, that was not the end of the matter about Ramoth Gilead. Um, in Judah, Jehoshaphat is succeeded by Jehoram, his son. This is the son. I know this is a lot of information, but it, it all ties together. He's succeeded by Jehoram. Jehoram is the son. Now listen, the son that married Ahab's daughter in the alliance that Jehoshaphat had made with Ahab. So he is succeeded by Jehoram, and Jehoram is a terrible and a wicked king. Um, and he only reigns eight years in Judah. And he finally dies. In fact, he dies prematurely. He dies due to an incurable bowel disease that God struck him with because he was such a wicked ruler. So he dies prematurely, and the Bible says that he departed to no one's regret. <laughs> Um, so he died and nobody missed him. They were all glad that he, that he died. His son, Jehoram's son, uh, Ahaziah, then becomes king of Judah. And in Israel, Ahab is succeeded by his son, Joram. Okay, so you got the, the story. In Israel is Joram, Ahab's son. And in Judah, it is Ahaziah who is Jehoram's son, who is Jehoshaphat's son. Here's, here's the kicker. Joram, uh, Joram is Ahaziah's uncle, okay? They're family now. They're related now because uh, Joram is the brother, right, of the sister that was given to Jehoram and became the mother of Ahaziah. And so Joram is Ahaziah's uncle, uh, Ahaziah 
is the grandson, following me, Ahaziah is the grandson of both Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Uh, Ahaziah is both of their uh, grand, grandson. So once, and once more, Ramoth Gilead comes into the picture because Jehoshaphat may have learned his lesson about Ramoth Gilead, but Ahaziah is, is about to repeat the same mistake that Jehoshaphat made. And we read about it in 2 Kings chapter 8. All right, so let me read these verses for you. Again, I'm not going to read the entire story. But in 2 Kings chapter 8, we read in verse 25, we read this. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, the king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, the king of Judah, began to reign. And Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem one year. His mother's name was Athaliah. She was a granddaughter of Omri, the king of Israel. He also walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done, for he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. And he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to make war against Haziel, the king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. And King Joram returned to be healed at Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him at Ramah, when he fought against Haziel, the king of Syria, and Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. Now, it may be discouraging, but it's important to point out how quickly, how quickly Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat's godly character and godly influence are forgotten by his descendants. Did you notice that? Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, he learned his lesson at Ramoth Gilead. He went on, he was a godly, a devout king. But very quickly, his character and his influence are forgotten by his descendants. Ahaziah represents the third generation, right? But in truth, listen, it was less than 10 years later that he is making the same mistake that his grandfather made. Ten years later, he's making the same mistake. This time, he's making the same mistake without any hesitation. He doesn't consult God at all. Um, and he plunges in and makes the same mistake. In fact, verse number 27 makes it clear that, that Ahab... The godless, wicked king of Israel actually had more influence on this young king of Judah than his, his own grandfather had, the king of, of Judah. At any rate, history repeats itself as Ahaziah goes with Joram, his uncle, remember his uncle, goes with Joram back to Ramoth-Gilead to fight the Syrians again, and Joram is wounded in this, in this battle, just like Ahab, or in a similar way that Ahab was wounded. And Joram retreats to Jezreel to recover from his sickness, and Ahaziah, his nephew, goes there to Jezreel to be with him. So Joram and Ahaziah 
are in Jez, Jezreel. And then <laughs> I know this is it's all twisted, but again, it all fits together. Then meanwhile, back in Ramoth Gilead, something is happening in Ramoth Gilead. In 2 Kings chapter 9, um, in Ramoth Gilead, uh, the commanders of Joram have gathered in, in Ramoth Gilead and Elisha sends a man, a prophet, to go back to Ramoth Gilead and anoint Jehu, a different Jehu, not the prophet Jehu, but to go and anoint Jehu to be the next king of Israel in Ramoth Gilead. So this young prophet goes to Ramoth Gilead, finds the commanders, takes Jehu aside, anoints him as king. And when Jehu returns to his friends, his friends say, what was that all about? Jehu is a little bit confused about it himself. And he says, well, he just anointed me to be king over Israel. And immediately his friends say, long live King Jehu of Israel. They appoint him as king. And then what happens is in, and this is in um, 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 14 through 16. It says, then Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, again, a different Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram was with all Israel, with all Israel had been on guard at Ramoth Gilead against Haziel, the king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him when he fought against the king of Syria. And so Jehu said, if this is your decision, he says this to his commanders, the commander friends that has just appointed him, said, you're king. He said, if this is your decision, then let no one slip out of the city and go and tell the news in Jezreel. And then Jehu mounted his chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah, had come down to visit Joram. And so what happens next is Jehu hastens to the city of Jezreel, and Jehu promptly executes King Joram of Israel. So King Joram, just like his father Ahab, has died as a result of his attacks, his uh, campaign on Ramoth Gilead. In fact, Jehu kills um, Joram and fulfills the prophecy concerning Ahab. He spills his blood on the same plot of ground in which Ahab had spilled the blood of Naboth of Jezreel. And Ahaziah, the king of Judah, does what? Flees from the scene, but this time Jehu catches up with Ahaziah and Jehu kills Ahaziah at Megiddo. Jehu goes on to entirely destroy the house of, of Ahab, including the conniving queen mother Jezebel. He kills the entire family. And um, what, <laughs> what remarkable events are associated with this city of Ramoth, Gilead, right? That's, this, that is what we know about Ramoth Gilead, the events surrounding Ramoth Gilead. There's a couple of things about Ramoth Gilead that we're not sure about, we're not positive about. Let me give those to you very quickly. Number one, um, some have made the suggestion that Ramoth Gilead 
is actually the location that is referred to in the book of Revelation as Armageddon. In my note, does that ring a bell, Armageddon? Armageddon is the place where God finally defeats the Antichrist, completely destroys the Antichrist. Now, um, we don't know that for sure. Some have said that because, uh, because of the transliteration of the word, it looks like Armageddon. And so they say that might be, Je um, Ramoth Gilead might be the location of Armageddon in the book of Revelation, place where God completely destroys the Antichrist. Second thing, we don't know this about Ramoth Gilead, but it's suggested. And that is that Ramoth Gilead may also be the location where in the book of Genesis, Jacob parted ways with his father-in-law uh, Laban. You remember that story? So Jacob had been serving his father-in-law for years and years and years, and he had tried to get away from his father-in-law, and his father-in-law said, what, no, stay a little bit longer, and his father-in-law cheated him and cheated him, and finally Jacob gets free, but his father-in-law pursues him, and they meet on the plain on the heights of Gilead, Mizpah, and some say that's the same location here, and they agree to do what? To part ways and to separate, okay? And so Jacob says, no, I'm not going to go back with you. And so Laban says, okay, well, let's agree. We're, it's better for us to part ways and go our separate way. Now, we don't know these things about Ramoth Gilead, but, but I think that those, those two things can help us actually understand better what the lessons we can learn from Ramoth Gilead. Um, and, and there's one overarching lesson that we learn from Ramoth Gilead, and that is the main thing that we learn is to beware of unholy alliances. Beware of unholy alliances. Um, the Bible warns us about that, of course. We know that, right? The Bible tells us to beware of unholy alliances, alliances such as Jehoshaphat made with Ahab. In fact, this is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness, what accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with, unbe with an unbeliever? So the Bible warns us about making unholy alliances. Now, does that mean that we can't be, that we can't be friends with unbelievers or that we can't have relationships with unbelievers? Absolutely not, because the Bible says, hold on to it for just a second, okay? Um, the Bible says that we ought to Go out and be salt and light in our world. What does, it, what does it mean then to have an alliance with an unbeliever? It means to put yourself in an obligation to them that is going to cause you to transgress something about God's word. Putting yourself in obligation to them in, in that way. And so the Bible warns us about, about those kind of unholy alliances. Moreover, 
the Bible tells us that we should be careful not just about unholy alliances with individuals, but that we should be careful about being friends with the world system, that we shouldn't, that we shouldn't try to be uh, friends with the world system. In fact, this is what James chapter 4, verse 4 says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So the Bible warns us about friendship with the world. Again, not, not being friends with unbelievers, but about, about allying ourselves with their values, allying ourselves with their pursuits, and about forming an obligation, a connection in our life that will, that will compromise our faith and compromise our service to Jesus Christ. The Bible warns us that bad association corrupts good character. But sometimes, just like Jehoshaphat, we're willing to overlook that because of the good that we think that it will do for us or because of some pleasure, some advantage, some benefit that we might gain by being friends with the world. Or maybe we even think that we can, we can resist it. We can overcome it. We can overcome its negative influence in our life with a positive influence of our own. But how many knows the Bible says it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. In fact, the Bible says we should not love the world because if we love the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. That's exactly right. That the love of the Father is not in us. That means that the extent to which we give, this is, this is the key point, the extent to which we give our love and our loyalty to those things that are not of God is the extent to which we are allowing those things to dilute, if not destroy, our love and our loyalty for Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in the example of Jehoshaphat, it was his unholy alliance with Ahab, which perhaps he made out of a sincere motive. Maybe he made out of a sincere, and he certainly learned um, his own lesson about that alliance. But how many knows that we can see that that unholy alliance eventually, ultimately, it was detrimental and it was destructive to Judah and it was detrimental and it was destructive uh, to, his, to his descendants. And that's what we learn from all of this. We should, we, should le- we should try to keep ourselves from those things that are unholy because eventually what is unholy is going to be judged. God, God eventually will judge the wicked, won't he? God eventually will judge this world system. Just like, that's why I think it's instructive for us to consider that, well, maybe Ramoth Gilead is Armageddon because there's coming a day, how many knows that God is going to judge this world? And in fact, in Revelation chapter 18, God's word says to, to us as believers that we need to do what? Come out from among them so that when my judgment 
is poured out on the world, we won't, what, suffer. You see, what happened to Jehoshaphat's descendants, their unholy alliance with the house of Ahab eventually did what? Destroyed them. It was their own undoing because they were allied with the house uh, of Ahab. So God will eventually judge all wickedness and all unrighteousness. He did it in the case of Ahab. Even though he gave him a short reprieve, he eventually judged the house of Ahab. He did it in the case of Joram. He did it in the case of uh, Jezebel. And Jehoshaphat was very nearly destroyed because of his association with Ahab. But God was merciful and God saved him. Aren't you glad that we serve a merciful God who is able to show us mercy and grace? That's what these cities of refuge are all about, that God makes provision for us, that if we'll run to him, call out to him, he'll show mercy and grace to us. So God saved Jehoshaphat. However, his grandson, Ahaziah, was eventually destroyed because of that association and because of that friendship and because of that alliance. How many knows somehow, some way, um, that relationship should have been what? Severed and cut off. If, if there had been some way for Jehoshaphat to end that alliance, if there had been some way for him to bring an end uh, to that unholy alliance, maybe Maybe his descendants could have uh, been spared. God, God gave Jehoshaphat warnings, didn't he? Through the prophet uh, Micaiah, through the prophet Jehu. God warned him. God told him. Um, but that relationship, that alliance was never severed. It was never, was never cut off. And unfortunately, Ahaziah paid the price. His association with Ahab eventually cost him his life. And, and his experience, um, his experience is a lesson for us all. Don't, don't wait until it's too late. Um, separate yourself from those things that will ultimately... Um, bring you under the condemnation and judgment of God if you don't cut them off and sever those relationships. Somebody once said, and I probably have quoted it before, but I think it's appropriate here tonight also, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. Friendship with the world, unholy alliances with sin. We allow those things to continue in our life. How many knows they will ultimately cost us more than we want to pay? They'll hold us in, in bondage. And at some point, we must be willing to sever the relationship. Just like, just like Jacob did on those hills of Gilead, those plains of Gilead, maybe the same place as Ramoth, Gilead, Mizpah, where he finally severed his relationship with Laban. Laban was a, a liar and a deceiver, and he had abused 
uh, Jacob. Now, Jacob was a deceiver too, but he had been lied to and abused by, by uh, Laban, just like Jehoshaphat was lied to and abused by Ahab. But Jacob finally came to that place where he said, no, I'm going to part ways with you. God's got a future for me over here that is better than the past that you're offering to me over here. And I think that that's instructive for us tonight that each and every one of us, we have to be, we have to be aware of our tendency to form associations with the things of this world that if we're not careful, those things can destroy us and drag us back into, into bondage. And we have to be willing to recognize those things. Again, it's not about relationships with with people necessarily, unless those alliances and those relationships bring you into obligation to them that threatens your faith and your morals and your stand for God's word. It's more about your relationship with the world, this world system. When God's word says, don't be friends with this world, don't get attached to this, to this world. So we must recognize where our heart becomes too attached to the things of this world and be willing to separate ourselves from those things and say, God, I want you to cut those, sever those bonds, sever those things that hold me too closely to this world so that I can serve you with all of my heart and with all of, of, my, of my soul. God will, God will speak to us. He'll give us warning. He'll give us, he'll give us opportunity to do that. So what I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to invite Mike. Would you come to the piano in just a second? Mike's going to play, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. Just like uh, Jehoshaphat received word from the Lord through Micaiah, through Jehu, the prophet Jehu, where God warned him about these unholy alliances. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us tonight and just to reveal to us if there's any area in our hearts, any area in our life where, where we have grown, grown uh, too attached to the things of this world, to this world system, to its values, um, to, its, to its philosophies, to his ideas, and, and if there's any of those areas that the Lord brings to our attention, maybe you're already aware of them, maybe the Lord's already been dealing with you about those things, then we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come tonight and, and to, to break those bonds, to sever those ties, to set us free completely, and help us to separate ourselves from those things so that we'll not be brought down by them and destroyed by them. Heavenly Father, we invite your Holy Spirit, God, to come right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we need, we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate truth to us. Your Word says that you will do that, that the Holy Spirit will reveal truth to us, that the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin and convince us of righteousness. And so, Lord, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to come and to do that right now. Just like you sent that word and you warned Jehoshaphat, your servant, Lord, not once but twice you spoke to him about that unholy alliance that he had with Ahab. Father, we're praying that you would come and speak to us tonight. Lord, 
Look into our hearts. Reveal, God, if there's any evil way within us, God. Show us, God, any undue affection, love, or loyalty that we have to this world, God. Reveal it to us, God, in your loving kindness so that, Lord, we can deal with it this evening in Jesus' name. Father, we pray that as we recognize those things, that we would just bring them to you tonight to surrender them to you. God, we ask that you would break that bondage, that you would sever, Lord, any ties that hold us to the values, the philosophies, the behaviors, the attitudes of this world. And God, help us to make clean break with them tonight, Lord. Wash us with the blood of Jesus Christ. Set us free, God, so that we can walk away from here tonight, Lord, knowing that we are free of those entanglements. We are free of those things that would drag us down, Lord. Help us to walk in that freedom, Lord, from this point forward. God will ask it. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for it. Lord, we're thankful that you hear us when we pray. That, God, you are merciful and that you are kind. And that just as you did for Jehoshaphat, you'll do it for us. You'll help us, Lord. You'll help us. We pray, God, for that help, Lord. We pray for that mercy, God, this evening. Give us the strength, Lord, that we need to be your servants. Lord, we thank you for it. Thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Now stand to your feet. Lift up your hands to the Lord. And just before we're dismissed, just lift your hands and let's bless him and let's praise him. God, we want you to give us a love for you that surpasses all, of, all other loves. God, we want you to change our hearts, set our affections upon you, God, so that we want nothing else like we want you, God. Father, give us a desire for more of your spirit and for more of your power and more of your love, God, in our life, we pray. Incline our hearts, Lord, completely to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.